Oh, Matty, I thought right off the top of the show today, I'd just get something off my chest. I'm a bit out of sync. <laughs> I'm out of sorts today, and I think it stems from yesterday. I did the, the Dragons and the Storm, the Blockbuster Clash. Boy, we had been building up for this great game, and I've spent, I guess, whatever hours it is between, like the last 20 hours or so, apart from being asleep, ruminating about the game, my performance, the call, just the whole thing, the referees, the Dragons win. I just can't get past... I'm just having one of those Mondays where I can't get past what happened yesterday afternoon. It's sort of like the game started and it felt like, from my perspective, I'm a golfer, so I'll give you a golf analogy. I hit my tee shot into the trees. Then I sort of bumped one out, not quite as I planned to. And then my third shot was going to go over the green into the water... But luckily, it hit the flag, stopped near the hole, and I somehow salvaged a par when I played an awful golf hole. It's just a weird sort of feeling today. It was that it was the referees. It was a, just a range of things. They were out of sync, the referees. I just don't know what's gone on in the last 24 hours. I just can't get myself back on track. It sounds a bit like Jason Day in his final round, playing yes. horrible golf but still getting the job done. And was you've given an insight into life as a commentator there because a lot of viewers wouldn't know that we too beat ourselves up like players or anyone involved in a game if we don't feel like we've done the right sort of job quite often. You'll call a game 8-6, littered with penalties, mistakes, not a lot of highlights. And you leave the ground feeling flat, wondering, what on earth did I do in that game? I didn't do the right sort of job. You watch the game back and you think, not so bad, actually. It was more a product of the game than necessarily our performances. Yeah, that's very true. It's amazing how many times you've walked away from a venue and a call, and then you go home and you might hear highlights, or you will go back and listen to great passages of the game for a bit of homework. And you'll think, well, you know, it wasn't the train wreck that I thought it was at the time. And, and, you know, invariably, it never is. It never is the train wreck because if it was a train wreck, you would really know that it was a train wreck during the call. But having said that, it was one of those games like the two teams, you know, it was the defending champs versus the, you know, maybe the champs elect. They're flying at the top of the table. They played a great game, the Dragons, but they made mistakes. There wasn't much flow to the game. And the two referees, Chris Butler and Matt Checker, now I've been a staunch believer in the two-referee system. But yesterday, at one point at the back end of the first half, I was almost going to say, you know what, I could be persuaded into going back and believing that one referee is the way to go because I thought they were all over the shop with their communications, born out, of, I guess, at its zenith by whatever was happening in that play the ball with Sam Cassiano. He plays the ball. It ends up going to the left-hand side. Billy Slater does this ridiculous pass over the top. Josh Adokar scores what we think is a great Melbourne try, in all likelihood, to level the game. Instead, it gets called back, weirdly, for a Melbourne penalty because Chris Butler, the pocket referee, has seen something in the play the ball with Cameron McInnes crowding the play the ball. But no whistle blew. Matt Checken was following the play. It was one of those cases where you surely go, just play the advantage. Where's the advantage gone? Melbourne scored a try. Instead, they're coming back for a penalty. They eventually don't score because Cameron Munster gets called for a double movement. Boy, it was a strange one. And I know that he saw a penalty 
before the whistle actually blew and was calling for a penalty to be blown, but the whistle never blew. So what's the greatest benefit to Melbourne? The penalty or the try? You take the try every time. I've just come from the league department where there's lots of head shaking and lots of questions being asked. And one referee was a common phrase that was being thrown around in the Fox League NRL department. But you're right. The scene was set was beautiful, sunny Sunday afternoon. Two heavyweights about to go at it. We were thinking it might be 24-20 with a piece of Addo Car brilliance or a Jack DeBellin try to seal it late, but it just never reached those heights. And unfortunately, today, over all the talkback radio and in all the departments around the office blocks like Fox League, they're talking about that ruling. And everyone seems to have a different opinion on what happened and what should have happened. But yeah, initially, the call came and they painted themselves into a corner. You've got to blow the penalty we can't settle for that play of the ball when really, had play been allowed to continue and, and gone to the bunker, they would have said try. If they'd pulled it up more immediately before we had the chance to see what was going to happen, no one would have talked about it. Strange days indeed, most peculiar mama. Well, you know, and the referees have long spoken about the vocab. The vocab between all of them, they're all mic'd up and there's a, 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 a referee's overseer at the ground watching every game, taking notes and whatever else. I don't know if he has actual communications. I don't think he does to the referees until they get down there at half time because we quite often see them next to our commentary box or not too far away. They'll lob down, have a chat at half time, and then obviously there's a debrief after the game, and then there's a bigger debrief once they all get together today and or tomorrow. But it was one of those ones like, boys, just get it right. If there's a penalty, just scream out, penalty blow the whistle, and then work out what the penalty was. But don't let the play go on. A try to be scored, and then blow the team that scored the try a penalty back underneath the post. And it just just contributed to, I don't know, this stop-start nature of the game. And it was a bit disappointing from some points of view. I guess if you're a Dragons fan, you don't give a toss. You're sitting there listening to this going... What are you blokes talking about? We won the game, and I tell you what, they are the team to beat. There's no question about that. Well, that's what Craig Bellamy said. There's your benchmark. That might have been a little bit of uh, coaches uh, thinking there and uh, trying to achieve another aim, but he has no doubt that the Dragons are the benchmark. Was uh, They've still got to navigate not only the origin period, where they could have up to six representatives, but also the post-origin period, where coaches say that you know, in hindsight, our players had an origin hangover. Given that so many of these Dragons could be playing origin for the first time, that hangover might be even more significant. So a lot of work for the Dragons still to do. They might be the benchmark here in May, but can they be the benchmark in August and through September, should they get there? And one of the reasons they are rolling on as well as they are is they've had a fantastic start of the season with a lack of injuries. The entire starting 13 has been the starting 13 since round one. They ran Reese Robinson onto the bench yesterday to make his debut. He got a couple of touches of the ball right at the end of the game. But outside of that, it's pretty much the same, at least 16 every week. And while ever that's the case, I don't think they picked up any injuries yesterday. Um, James Graham is obviously battling a bit of a neck or a shoulder issue. A couple of weeks in a row now, back on Anzac Day against the Roosters, he was inconvenienced by it. It was the case again yesterday, but I think it's something he can manage. It may well hark back to the issue he had last year at the Bulldogs. But they're flying, and from the teams I've seen so far, and I saw Melbourne the week before put 50, 50 on the Warriors, who were running second and still are running second. Um, And I thought yesterday was going to be a good test to see where the Dragons were in comparison with the Storm. Now, the Storm are off their game. They do have a couple of injuries. 
But the Dragons, for mine at the moment, and I know they got beaten by the Warriors, and the Warriors fans will be saying, oh, hang on a second, they can't be comfortably the Premiership favourites because we beat them, mm. which is the only time they lost. But it was over there in Auckland at Mount Smart Stadium. The Warriors are outstanding in that game. It was a very high-quality contest given the, the rainy, greasy conditions on the night. But from what I've seen so far, the Dragons, um, if they stay injury-free, boy, they will take some stopping because there's a real look about them. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to seeing them on Sunday against South Sydney. Now, luckily, I'm not engaged in this game for Fox League, so I will have the feet up, and I can't wait to watch them against the Bunnies, especially the Battle of the Hookers. Damien Cook, Cam McInnes. Now... If you believe what you read, there are your two leading New South Wales Blues contenders. I tweeted the other night when Damien Cook scored out of dummy half, could Damien Cook pinch an origin, in brackets, or two, off the bench behind McInnes? And a few people said to me, what do you mean off the bench behind McInnes? He should be starting. Um, was, do you reckon that Freddie will go with two hookers, a starting nine and a specialist hooker off the bench? I'm glad you brought up Origin because I wanted to talk about this issue today um, because Origin is all-encompassing. As I've said in the past, Origin, to my way of thinking, is the monster that ate the NRL, uh, especially in, depending on the years and the circumstances. Sometimes it feels bigger than other years. It, just, it has grown into this monster that it is because Queensland have dominated for so long. Because I guarantee you, had New South Wales won 11 of the past 12 Origin series, <laughs> Origin would be as dead as a doornail. It would be all over for Origin. It would rate nothing. We wouldn't get 20,000 people to ANZ to go and watch New South Wales once again beat Queensland for the 11th or 12th straight year. Now, I know New South Wales won back in 2014, the lone little ray of light there in, in the last dozen years or so. But... You can't have a conversation about NRL teams at the moment, and you've just mentioned it, of course, and talk about players and who's in form and why they're winning without morphing it into the next step. Yeah. step what about his origin chances? And I feel guilty there because I did round one with Kevy Walters up in North Queensland, and I joked with him, uh, when did you field your first phone call regarding the origin team, Kevy? And he laughed back, about January 3. <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say July 1 I, I, last year. I wouldn't mind, uh, you know, a, a, an edict going out. You cannot talk origin before round 6 or 8 or whatever. But, gee, it's just an ongoing discussion. It is a 12-month monster now. Um, and, and, you know, that in-the-mix phrase coined by Laurie Daly, I think adopted quite happily by the likes of Danny Badiris and Greg Alexander, uh, has certainly become the go-to line when... Any number, any number of origin contenders. You know, a bloke will play one good game and they're fielding phone calls or questions uh, regarding his origin chances. I-T-M. <laughs> In the mix. Yeah. That's the phrase, isn't it? Yes. And, 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 you know, a bloke makes a debut, Payne Haas, and we're all scurrying around to try and work out is he a maroon <laughs> he or a blue. That's and given right. that he's residing in the Gold Coast hinterland, it's a very fuzzy border around that neck of the woods. But uh, I'm reliably informed he is New South Wales and has Captain Danny Badiris' under-18s New South Wales team. Because Origin is so big and it sometimes overshadows the NRL, I'll put my hand up and say I purposely try not to mention Origin during games. Now, that will change in the next couple of weeks, of course, because we are getting now to the point where you probably get a better idea as to who might be in the team. But, you know, with injuries and everything else that can happen, suspensions, whatever else, 
it's almost pointless. And, uh, you know, we talk about Origin forever, as you say, but mm. it's pointless really talking about it until two or three weeks out because anything could happen. Players could lose form. Players could bounce into form. Um, someone could get, you know, like Nathan Cleary. Now he's touch and go. Is he going to be back in time to press his claims for the New South Wales halfback role? But yesterday I'm in the commentary box, and who's beside me? Blues advisor Greg Alexander, and who's beside him? Yeah. Queensland coach Kevy Walters. It, there was no way I was going to get through the game yesterday without saying something, given how good the Dragons are going and how many inform forwards in particular they have. But Kevy's there watching Ben Hunt yesterday. Well, I said to Kevy, are you going down to the sheds to talk to <laughs> Ben Hunt? Or he said, no, nah, I'm not going down to the sheds today. I'm going to steer clear. Well, so how could I not at some stage yesterday talk about origin? And, and I had a chuckle when I heard Kevy say to Greg Alexander, Brandy, have you written his name down? You know, a little <laughs> elbow, knowing fully well that he'd copped exactly the same statements for the last nine weeks and was relishing the chance to go back at uh, Brandy about something similar. And I think Brandy, to his credit, said he's been written down for a while. Yeah, yeah, I would have thought so. Now, um, whoever it was. Now, I've spoken in the past about going to homework training sessions and doing homework. Brandy went to the Dragons training session to do some homework, I guess a bit for the game, but more so from a New South Wales Blues point of view, which I thought was really interesting. So did I. I don't know how many times that might have happened now. It may well have happened with Laurie Daly because Laurie, trust me, he won the one series out of four, but no coach would have left any stone unturned the way Laurie wouldn't have over the past four years in his role as origin coach because his preparation was meticulous. The way he got the job in the first place was going and and blowing the New South Wales board out of their chairs with his presentation as to why Heath should get the job. And he went through this whole PowerPoint presentation. He knocked their socks off and he got the job. He wasn't going to get the job, I don't think, before that. But he got it off the back of his homework and his preparation. So Laurie may well have done that. But I was rapt to hear that, you know, Brandy... He's taking the role super seriously. He's only the advisor. He's not the coach. But there he was down there looking at the Dragons training and talking to players and talking to the coach. And, and the reports I read were that Freddie and Danny Badiris were also there with Brandy during that visit. And I, I immediately asked from a media perspective, when you try and get access to a club in the lead up to a big game, it's, it's a bit harder. It was St. George Illawarra against Melbourne. And I thought, I'm surprised that the Origin coaches and Paul McGregor would be overly excited about having their presence at training in the lead-up to such a, a crucial game, the possibility for distraction, and I just thought it wouldn't have been the done thing. Now, I raised that point with a couple of my colleagues over the week in the co-commentators, the former players who said, Maddie, it's a great thing. If, if I knew that the, the coaching panel of the Blues were down to watch me train, I'm lifting big time on the weekend, so don't worry too much about that, but still... I'm surprised in the day where everyone doesn't want to be distracted and we've got to go through the exact same processes week in, week out before a big game. I'm surprised that the Dragons signed off on the Blues coaching team coming down to watch a training session so close to a big game. Yeah, I think the, you know, the players there are experienced enough. You know, Jack DeBellin, Tarek Sims, Tyson Frizzell. We know Tyson Frizzell is going to be there. But Jack DeBellin and Tarek Sims are massive chances to be named for New South Wales. And, and given how good they are working as a trio in the back row for the Dragons, in some ways it would be surpri- a surprise if they weren't the very back row and Cameron McInnes wasn't the hooker for New South Wales. And maybe Paul Vaughan is one of the front rowers for New South Wales. I mean... Maybe they were there to watch Ben Hunt. <laughs> 
And, well, they might well have been to see what he's doing because he has made a massive difference to the, to the Dragons. Um, Paul McGregor spoke about that in the lead-up to the game against the Melbourne Storm. He, he said he has brought so much to Gareth Widdop. He's allowed Gareth Widdop to just play what he plays, more that eyes-up sort of role as opposed to trying to get the team around the park. And it's helped Cameron McInnes as well. Um, they're a force to be reckoned with. And I don't know what price they are as far as the... The, uh, the betting houses are concerned at the moment, but the Dragons are, I think, comfortably for mine, the premiership favourites. And I don't know about second favourite now because the Storm beat the Warriors by 50. But I saw the Storm yesterday. They looked a little bit out of sorts. And I think we're going to see that. They're not quite the team they were in 2017. We're going to see them go through periods where you think, boy, they're very good. And when they get Tim Glasby and Jesse Bromwich back to their front row rotation... We might change our minds again yeah. because that will make a big difference. But I think they're just a little step behind where they were last year, having taken Cooper Cronk out of that ro- out of that mix. Yeah, you, you, I could not argue with that. And if you go from what we just said about the Storm down to the team they beat on Anzac Day, the Warriors, who rebounded by beating West Tigers 26-4. Now, Sean Johnson was scintillating, picked up an injury. Isaac Luke defied that... Uh, injury that looked like keeping him out for a month. He picked up a shoulder injury late. Adam Blair picked up an injury. They're all side points to the fact that the Warriors rebounded really impressively. And uh, we were discounting the Warriors after giving up 50 against Melbourne. What do you say about them after they bounced back from that loss to down West Tigers by 22 points? Yeah, I'll forgive them. I think I'll forgive them the effort on Anzac Day nights down there at Amy Park in Melbourne. But it's hard to shake off. And when, when you see a team actually in the flesh, it's, you can watch it on TV and it looks bad. When you see it, when you're actually there at the venue, it looks twice as bad. Mm. And that loss in the way their defence just opened up so badly against Melbourne, four consecutive tries without the Warriors touching the ball, that resonates with you. And that will stay with me for the rest of the season. Um, you know, I'll forgive them partly for the moment. And it was always important, I think, that they bounce back as they did against the Tigers. The Tigers suddenly are in that, that sort of situation where you go, we, we did our categories last week where we placed teams, instead of giving them A, Bs and Cs and Ds, we, we had titles for the, the, the different categories. And I think the Tigers were in the, you know, I think we're pretty good. Um, but are we contenders? And I've got them just sort of sliding off the back yeah. of that category at the moment. They need something on Thursday night against the Cowboys at Leichhardt, don't they? You're doing that game, was What, three straight losses now for West Tigers and the Cowboys just having that win in Bathurst, but they need to go on a run to, to make up for lost ground. few distractions for them this week as well. So, you know, what a game to start the round at Leichhardt. And, you know, from a, from a commentary point of view, uh, what's in your mind as you head to Leichhardt Oval? As you have... Hundreds of times already during your career. Yeah, sure. Um, Thursday, well, I'm thinking Thursday night, so I'm wondering what the crowd's going to be at a mm-hmm. suburban venue in Sydney. And we'll talk about some bur- suburban venues in a moment as well after a topic or a story uh, in the Sunday Telegraph yesterday talking about suburban venues and how they need to be saved uh, in Sydney. And one of the commissioners, Peter Volandis, um, is certainly at the top of his list or one of his items he would like to really push is suburban venues and trying to improve them. But... The Tigers, yeah, if they lose this game, they will be 5-5. Five and five, And the bus, the wheels will be wobbling on the West Tigers bus there at Concord. I don't know how many points they've got in them. Uh, Luke Brooks is playing terrific footy. And we were watching that game before our game between the Sharks and the Eels 
out there at Cronulla on Saturday night. We're in the commentary box and you got you're doing a bit of last minute prep and having a chat and seeing what the the news is as far as any changes or replacements for both teams is concerned. But you're also watching the game that's happening before you. And Luke Brooks, I think it, Luke Brooks is playing great footy, but they just can't score too many points. Now they scored plenty against the Seagulls. They mm. put on a pretty big score there. But outside of that, they have battled for the most part to put on scores. I just don't know whether they've got the attacking you know, class of some of the better teams like the Dragons, the Storm and the Warriors to maybe and the Rabbitohs, who I think their attack is fantastic at the moment. Just don't know they're at that level. Maybe it's a season too soon and they might just sneak a spot inside the top eight, but they might just miss it. And that would be a big improvement on what they've shown recently. Yeah, this is a great opportunity for the Cowboys. They've stayed down in Sydney after going to Bathurst. So How's that working confidence out? Confidence, not real well last time I checked, Boz, but that's a story for another day. Uh, yeah, I, I, the Cowboys having won in Bathurst, do they turn the corner there? They're staying down in Sydney and now they're off to Leichhardt on Thursday. I, I think the Cowboys are, are, are well set here to win again and go back home with a couple of maybe season-turning wins under the belt. Well, we said off the back of um, what they'd done over the first eight weeks of the season, they might well go on a run where they win in the second half of the season. Maybe now we're not there yet, but they might go on a run where they win four or five in a row, mm. as the Panthers did last year. And you sort of think, well, hang on, they're a factor. It's the Cowboys, quite obviously, and they made the grand final last year. And back to origin, um, you know, it's just around the corner. And suddenly the Cowboys found a little bit of form. We know JT's not playing Origin this year, but Matt Scott, he's available. Um, there's a couple of others available as well. And they found a bit of form out there at Bathurst with Origin just around the corner. So maybe Paul Green is thinking, thank you, State of Origin. That was what we were looking for, <laughs> something to really spark these guys into action. They still need a lot of improvement, but it does lead me into sort of my commentary highlights of the week in terms of of what I saw. And... and Jason Taumalolo, I wasn't involved in calling this game, but watching him run for 200-plus metres and yep. use his size so demonstrably, again, was fantastic. Backed up by another Mr. T of the NRL, Marty Tapau, yesterday for Manly, way up above 250 running metres. He, he was dynamic, but uh, sideline duties for me, I watched Victor Radley, who's a long way from a Taumalolo or Marty Tapau. He's 92 kgs. You know, I said to him afterwards, mate, you play like you're 192 kg. You know, that's light. He, he, mate, 92 kilograms in the modern game. There's not much of game. him. Like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a whippet. I'm a skinny. I've got to run around the shower to get wet. But I was standing interviewing Victor Radley afterwards, thinking to myself, well, how do you pull off those shots, Victor? Yeah. He stopped Marty to power in his tracks, and then a try-saver on Dylan Walker, who's no small 5'8 at the moment anyway. And so Victor Radley, to sit sideline and watch him, good old-fashioned little bloke against a bigger bloke, I thought, that that's to me, that's my commentary highlight of the weekend. Yeah, Marty Tapao, when you are close to Marty, it's like talking to a real-life action figure. <laughs> yes. like with, the, with all the muscles are exaggerated and there's the veins popping out. It's just like, are you human? Yes, Seriously. Like He's yeah. a scary-looking individual. You, it, it would be, he could just tear through walls. You could see him in an action movie, couldn't you? They're getting bigger. Yeah. They're like, like Taniela Paseca. Yeah. He's a giant. Nelson Asifa Solomona has burst onto the scene. Now Payne Haas was. When are they going to stop getting bigger? Well, they haven't yet. And you mentioned 92 kilograms. You know, Wayne Pierce, the great Balmain Tigers lock forward, played as a forward back through the 80s at the very same weight that his son Mitchell plays halfback at. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which is, that just tells you everything about how the game, it's an arms race. It's mm. just, they've just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Quite literally. And they will, and wingers, <laughs> you know, like the think, the think that Steve Morris and Kerry boasted and guys like that played on the wing. Well, to be a winger these days, you've got to be built like Kyle Felt yeah. or Suliasi Vunavalu. They yeah. are mon- They would have been front rowers and good-sized front rowers back in the 70s into the 80s. Yeah, and, and you look at big blokes. Again, I'll relay a commentary story. Shannon Boyd ran through the Gold Coast defensive line on the weekend and then set sail for the in goal to score his second try of the game. And Mike Linus beside me was jumping up and down and screaming at the sight of seeing a big man <laughs> in open territory with absolutely no idea what to do. It was good. <laughs> And uh, support inside and out, and Big Shannon, who's actually been chased by the Gold Coast Titans, had quite the game, but it sort of just continued a theme for me through the round of big men using their bodies really well, with the exception of Victor Radley, who cut a few big men down. Now, we went off on a bit of a tangent from what I'm expecting at Leichhardt on yeah, Thursday night. Now, I mentioned Peter Volandis, who was now on the commission of the Australian Rugby League Commission. And the story uh, via Phil Rothfield in the Sunday Telegraph yesterday talking about how it is one of Peter Volandis' missions to save the likes of Leichhardt and Brookvale and Belmore, Shark Park, Campbelltown. You can reel them off. Cogrove, where we were yesterday with just over 19,000 there. Penrith. I remember when Phil Gould first went to Penrith. In 2012, he said, if we are still playing here in this same venue and it hasn't changed in 10 years' time, that's 2022, there won't be a Penrith Panthers in the NRL. Because he thought, you know, just to be the team they had to be to compete against the Brisbane's and the Melbournes and teams who have that advantage of being one-team cities, they won't be able to compete. Six years down the track, Penrith is still Penrith. It hasn't changed, and 2022 is four years away. Mm. There's no way Penrith will be any different to what it is now in 2022. And Phil's 10 years will have gone by like that in the blink of an eye, and another decade will have passed where Penrith and Leichhardt and Cogra and all these other venues, now they've had a bit of a touch-up here and there, but as the saying goes, it's a bit like putting lipstick on a pig. Yeah. Because some of these venues, honestly, Leichhardt really essentially hasn't changed from the time I was going there as a kid when my great-grandmother would take me to watch the Balmain Tigers on a sunny Sunday afternoon back in the mid-70s. It's still the same venue pretty much. Shark, mm, sorry, Shark Park is, is built on a swamp. Mm. And I don't know if the people who have never been to Cronulla to watch a game over there... But at the back of the grandstand, it is still a swamp at oh, the back of the Western Grandstand. I've been there during a, a, a tropical-type downpour on a king-high tide where the old gym was flooded and we're doing a game as the, the water rose around our ankles pre-game doing an interview. So you're spot on. It's literally this, on a swamp. This is the NRL. Yeah. It's not the local comp. It's not the park footy. It's the NRL. It's, it's mind-boggling to me that here we are still playing at these venues. Now, people will say, I love the grass hill at Leichhardt. How good does the grass hill at Leichhardt on a sunny Sunday afternoon look? Well, here we are. We're playing a night game on Thursday. It could be raining for all intents and purposes. We don't know. And, you know, Leichhardt on the grass hill, in the rain, at night, 
is a very unappealing commodity. Well, well, let's have a discussion about this because um, the alternative is to play at somewhere like Allianz Stadium or ANZ Stadium. And these days, you might get 10, 15, 20,000 at the ground, but you'll get 400,000 on watching on, on Fox League and, and many more if you include every television avenue. So what do you want? Do you want fans to be able to go to the ground and, and sit in, in luxury, or do you want atmosphere and, and the look to come seeping through the television? I'll cop the latter, and that's why I've been such a fan of the regional games, because Bathurst again, 10,000, it looked exciting. The atmosphere came through. I wanted to be absorbed into this game, whereas if that game's played at a, at a huge stadium with even 15,000, 20,000, it's not quite the same. No, there's no, no so, doubt about that. And, and, the, and the biggest revenue stream for the league right now is television. Most people consume the game on television. You want it to look good on television. Where does it look best on television? When you've got full stadiums or near full stadiums at suburban grounds, at regional venues. So I hear the argument to grow the game, you've got to go to the big stadiums. How can you grow if you're capped at fifteen or 12,000? Well, are you not damaging the game by playing at the big stadiums without an atmosphere in front of fifteen or twenty or 25,000 at an 80,000-seat stadium? I understand the argument, but let's go there when we need to. And right now, we don't need to because people don't go to ANZ Stadium to the tune of sixty or seventy or eighty thousand for a regular season game. But we'll get twelve or fifteen or nineteen at Cogra yesterday, and it's great to feel that pumping through the television. But that's when you get nineteen thousand at Cogra, yeah. and it wasn't a sellout yesterday, which is amazing to me because what can you do? You can't do any more than they've done. They've won seven out of their first eight games. They're flying. They look like a team that can win the premiership. There's no question about that. Mm. But still, you couldn't feel Cogra. So it tells me that you know, for all the Sydney teams, I think this is true. There's around about 12,000 fans who will go to a game. And you, the only variant from that point is how well we are doing and who we are playing. But the, by the same token, well, I was there at Shark Park on Saturday night. Now, they're four, they were 4-4 four and four before that game. But still, Saturday night, it was a cracking day. Mm. There was no hint of rain around. You couldn't have got a better night to go to the footy to watch your team go around for what is essentially a winter sport. It was an all-Sydney derby. They're playing Parramatta. Parramatta to Cronulla is probably, what is it, 40 k's, 35 kilometres to drive, something like that. But it wasn't close to being full. So... And a part of that, I think, is the just there's no. It's I keep saying about the Sydney suburban venues, they're not gold class, are they? No, but yeah. isn't that part of the charm? Isn't that part of the beauty? I don't think it is. I think that you know there was a time, but if if your memory of you know if what attracts you to going to the footy is the memory of what it was when you were either a child or a young bloke, mm. and now we could fill all these venues with twelve thousand, thirteen thousand. 18 to 35-year-old males, because when you're 18 to 35 as a male, you can put up with a lot of stuff. You don't need many yeah. creature comforts, do you? You could live in a cave, basically, as long as you had a pillow. I don't need one creature comfort was. It's what, cold. The, the it's TV. Amber. Oh, right. That, you need a beer <laughs> and you need a TV. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it. apart from that, you could live in a cave. But we've, yeah. got, we've always had the 18 to 35-year-old male market. We've had that cornered forever. Mm. That market is rugby league. But we're not getting every other demographic outside of that that demographic going to the game because 
The hill is unattractive. It's ordinary to sit on in 2018. The grandstands are pretty crappy. The toilets. So what are you saying? Don't what? begin about the toilets. What, what? And can you get a can you get a beer? Like you don't need no. much, but can you get a beer? When nineteen thousand, I would love to know what it was like there yesterday at Cogra, trying to get off the hill to a go to the toilet, b get a drink or get something for the kids if you in fact had the kids, and if the hill as packed as it was yesterday, that isn't a place for kids in reality, is it? You couldn't take an eight and a nine year old really yesterday and sit on the hill at Cogra and have an enjoyable experience because it's so crowded. The back half of the hill is all standing up. It's an 18 to 35-year-old male domain up there. That wasn't the place for kids yesterday. We're just missing out on too many demographics. So you're saying we should be doing away with suburban grounds and playing? I wouldn't nuke them all right now. Would you? If I had my choice, I would napalm every Sydney suburban ground and start again. Okay, but the question is The question is... is no, I, I want to say, are you more excited uh, calling yesterday, Melbourne, St. George, Illawarra, would you be more excited calling that at ANZ Stadium in front of 25,000, 30,000, or at Cogra in front of the 19,000? You know where it would have been really good? At the new Parramatta Stadium or Amy Park in Melbourne. Well, so playing... how, how did we get to this point in Sydney where all these clubs, and they, some of them have some Taj Mahals, like Belmore, I keep looking at Belmore. You go to Canterbury Lees Club. It's magnificent. And it's going to get even better because they're going to put a hotel on top of it. It was built to the, what it is now to be able to take on top of it a 25-storey hotel. Mm. So it's going to happen. And it will be a, a money-making machine forever and a day. But their charter as a rugby league club, as a league's club, was to propagate the football club. So all the money at Canterbury, and this is just an example, I'm not picking on Canterbury here, you could replicate this through all the Sydney teams, all their focus was on building the business that was the Leagues Club, and Belmore Sports Ground was left there to become a pigeon home. Mm. It, they didn't spend one cent on Belmore Sports Ground for decades and decades and decades to the point you couldn't go there anymore. So at some stage, and you know, this is going back now, but... Some stage in the 70s or the early 80s, Canterbury had to get into bed with the government and say, look, we've got this building here. It's going to get run down. We'd like to keep using it as a sporting venue, but we need your help. And it could have been what is going to be the next Parramatta Stadium or an Amy Park had Canterbury had that mindset 40, 45 years ago. But none of the Sydney clubs did. It was all hand to mouth. They were just surviving the football clubs, getting a team on the paddock each and every year. And they're still not making any money. The Lees clubs make money, but that money goes back into trying to make the Lees clubs better because they can see if we don't improve the business, we will die. But the, the football club and their facilities were just left to rot. So after you nuked all these suburban venues, would you rebuild them in a boutique uh, fifteen to 20,000-type stadium like Amy Park, or would you rely on playing multi-games at Suncorp, Allianz Stadium, ANZ Stadium, the new Parramatta Stadium, and the alike? I would, you know, in an ideal world, you'd wave a wand and they would all have 20,000 fully-seated venues where you had all the mod cons, there was Wi-Fi, you'd get on your phone as it is now, and still be able to, you know, use all the apps to check what's happening via the Fox Sports app or whatever else. Um, that would be the ideal scenario. 
that's not going to happen. And I don't know how Peter Volandi's back to Peter Volandi's in the ARLC. It's a nice idea, but how does it happen? Because tomorrow night, the federal budget's going to be handed down. Mm. The, the federal government is going to spend something like $24 billion on infrastructure across Australia. But New South Wales, to spend on infrastructure, is only going to get $1.5 billion. I guarantee of that $1.5 billion, not one cent is going to go towards ageing, decrepit football stadiums <laughs> dotted around Sydney in an ad hoc manner because the money is just not there. The New South Wales government, they're all in, baby. All their chips are on Parramatta, Allianz, and ANZ, the redevelopment there. They haven't got the money to start throwing it, and you would need $200 million yeah. minimum to do what you would need to do, and that wouldn't even really get you... Well, Parramatta is going to cost more than that. It's going to be 350 or something like that to do what they're doing at Parramatta. So where are we? I, I think it's a pipe dream. I don't think these, these venues will change demonstrably in the next 10 to 15 years. And I don't know what that means for those clubs. I'm just looking forward to the Wollongong to Artarman Tunnel. Uh, that'll be very <laughs> handy for me. But, but was I, I know I'm taking a different stance to you, but I, I don't, I've called in the Leichhardt box where you bang your head on that pole that goes you know, three centimetres tall. I can show you the lumps. I, I've been in the Brookvale commentary box trying to peer through the little pigeonhole to catch action in the far corner. To me, it's part of the beauty and the charm and... Maybe I'm being too sentimental here, but I, I'm more than happy to give away some comfort to enjoy that atmosphere, the full house, the, the, you know, the heritage, the tradition. I know you've got to pick and choose very carefully. And, and just so people know, I'm not bashing up ANZ Stadium. The Parramatta Canterbury semi-final uh, played there. The year escapes me. Uh, 09, uh, something like 09 that. 09 it was, the prelim final. Yeah. One of the great sporting events I've attended when they separated the, the Parramatta and Canterbury fans by mass. And, and, and unbelievable, because it was full and there was atmosphere and it came through the television. Well, you don't get that week in, week out on a Thursday or Friday night when you've got twelve to 14,000 there. And I'm more than happy to go to Leichhardt or Brookvale or Cogra and enjoy the atmosphere, the tradition and say, you know what, we're not going to solve this mess right now, so let's just enjoy it for what it is now and have that atmosphere coming through our biggest revenue source, television screens. Yeah, but, you know, part of, you know, a, a successful competition, no matter what sport it is, is great on TV and does well on TV, but it also is so successful that people want to go and be there and see it live, be part of the action at the venue mm. itself. And I just What comes first, though? Well, it's the chicken or the egg, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you've got to you know, build it and they will come. But how we build... Didn't we do that at ANZ? Well, that's right. But how we build Leichhardt into yeah. a 20,000 boutique stadium, there's no parking. There's no really public transport. It's, a, it's an old-fashioned venue that in reality just can't, in the future, if the Tigers are still playing at Leichhardt in 10 to 15 years... Well, they will be so far off the pace yeah. com compared to the big clubs, they won't be able to compete. And that will be replicated across Sydney. I guarantee. Manly, I mean, look at Manly now. What a mess they are. Mm. Manly should have taken the cash at some stage. You know, it's, it's, this is tough to do. To, to be the person in charge at the time where you say, you know what, we are going across the country and we're going to be the Perth Sea Eagles. 
or the Adelaide Sea Eagles. But my model is what, ha- what has happened in America, and they went through this. There was a crowded marketplace in New York City back yeah. in the middle of the last century, and the Brooklyn Dodgers, they said, you know what? We're, we can't survive here. We have to go somewhere else. They moved across the country to become the Los Angeles Dodgers. How did that franchise do? <laughs> yes. That work out yeah. okay? Yeah. Now, I know you, you, people are going to say that's not oranges and apples, but there are too many teams. We've gone full circle here. I guess this is the end game. There's too many teams in Sydney, isn't there? Yeah. And somebody at some point, push will come to shove, and they will say we have to move or we will die. I think that will happen sooner than later, Was I, I think that uh, the NRL is on the record by saying that's it. The handouts are done. The, the, the interest-free loans are over. Next club to fall over will decide where and when you continue. And, and I think that will happen uh, sooner than many people think. Quite a discussion. It has been, was. Hey, it um, has been. there's a Qatari consortium who are supposedly interested in buying... The Manly Seagulls, a, a consortium from Qatar, where the Football World Cup is going to be held in 2022, a country where there are massive, massive human rights abuses. And there's supposedly a consortium over there who wants to buy the Manly Seagulls. Speaking uh, of pipe uh, dreams, uh, if that ever happens, that, seriously. That, that, that's a good story, but I, I read that and I think, oh, that was interesting. Move on. Uh, I'll believe that when I see it. Uh, what was I want to ask you your response to hearing these words, right? I know I'm jumping wildly to another subject. Twitter, Thursday night, yes. Bulldogs fans, Izarko, knock on, consistency. I think you know what game I'm referring to. Yeah. Uh, Broncos, Bulldogs, it's a long while ago now, but uh, any thoughts? Well, I, after the game, so sometimes I'll finish a game and, like, last night, didn't really want to rehash what I'd just seen and experienced at Cogra because I didn't think, you know, from my point of view, I didn't think I went that well. I didn't think the the game was the game that, you know, and maybe I was just a bit flat because I thought it was going to be one of those 20 to 18 finishes. You were just dirtier at a suburban ground wise. No, no, no. (laughs) For what it is, it's... It's okay. Cogra has massive issues as well. Don't, don't <laughs> worry. Um, but, um, yeah, I, and I left that alone on Twitter. But on Thursday night up there at uh, Suncorp Stadium between the Bulldogs and the Broncos, occasionally I'll have a thought and I'll just whack it on Twitter to see what, you know, get a bit of feedback as to what people thought perhaps about a particular incident. So I said that in, as far as consistency is concerned, if you're talking about the professional foul, um, where Moses and Bay grabs Darius Boyd on the way through and it decides the game. The Broncos win 22-20 off the back of a penalty that came um, pretty much in the last seconds of the game when Moses and Bay grabs Darius Boyd. It was a professional foul. Uh, did you see that and think it was going to be anything other than a professional no, no, foul? No, I didn't. And, and I, the analogy I use is that, okay, it might not have been exactly consistent with a few other incidents this season, but if you are ruling on it with the aim to achieve consistency, you, you might miss one or two here or there, but over the course of a season, then a decade, if you aim to achieve consistency in that area, you will ultimately get there. Now, on to that, if you don't, Moses, reach out towards Darius Boyd, there's not there's no penalty. penalty. For example, if you're speeding and you complain about, oh, but the policeman was behind a bush, I was in a hurry, I don't normally speed. If you don't want to get booked, don't speed. Yeah. If you don't want to give away these penalties, 
don't reach out and, and think, oh, am I, am I not? Oh, referee, you decide. Just don't do it. The ball is ultimately in your court. And you can't say, the car in front of me, it was also speeding, and you didn't pull him over and book him exactly. for speeding. because I have tried that. Don't that <laughs> exactly. It never works. <laughs> but harking back to Anzac Day, um, there was a situation, which had skipped my mind at the time of this particular situation, but it was Cameron McInnes put a trip on Luke Keary. It was a professional foul right in front of the post, and he didn't get sin-binned. It had to be a sin-bin. Now, that was the anomaly given I think they've been fairly consistent with these professional fouls and players going to the sin bin. So I know that one might have stood out, and that should have been a sin bin. It wasn't. But to say, okay, Moses did that, but what about last week? Well, that doesn't matter. He reached out. It was a cynical grab to try and stop a player scoring a try. He had to go to the sin bin. There was no controversy as far as I was concerned. But I know, again, back to uh, Phil Rothfield, on his Twitter account, he put a poll up. And there was, when I saw it, there were some 4,000 respondents and it was split. I think it was 51, yes, it should have been a penalty and a sin bin. 49 said no, no penalty, play on. Mm. So that shows you how it's a, well, there's a lot of people out there who don't agree on refereeing decisions. That's just always going to be the case. The same with the Jermaine Asako knock-on, that when it originally happened, you're screaming, that's a knock-on. But then you go through all the evidence and you see people with screenshots of the ball touching his hands here, the ball bouncing behind him on the line, the chest actually pointed towards sideline slash goal line. You think, well, you know what? It probably wasn't a knock-on. And I've been with commentators and friends who've screamed in the past, just because you dropped the ball, it doesn't mean it's a knock-on. So you can't have it both ways when the referee actually listens to that or, or acts on that basis that, yeah, he's dropped it, but it went backwards. Mm. So play on. You know, you think, well, they, it, you they know can't what? win. They it, cannot win. It went backwards, but I'm on that one. I'm a bit more in the camp that we see it every time. Yeah. Every time a fullback puts one down cold like that, and it seems to go live at least from his hands straight to the ground or a little bit backwards, they call knock on 99 times out of 100. And, and that might have been the one out of the 100 where they don't call it, and that's why people were yeah. out of their minds off the back of that they, call. They, they didn't have the consistency there that they have had using other calls yeah. this season. But, you know, if they go along that line now and, and say, well, if, if he drops the ball, but in our opinion it's gone backwards, we're not just going to automatically call knock on. If they aim to achieve that consistency, I don't know whether there's going to be a lot of people complaining. Well, we've covered a bit of ter- territory today, not quite where I thought we were going to go. Um, but we spent a lot of time talking about suburban venues. We might talk more about that and get some feedback from... Uh, and if you want to give us some feedback, producer Phil, what's the best way to give us feedback? I guess just go on Twitter and go to Matty Russell Fox, Matt Russell Fox, Fox that's it, something or like that. Warren Smith Fox, and just let us know what you're thinking. What do you think about the podcast? What do you think about the topics? What do you thought about what we were carrying on about today, whether we're talking absolute rubbish or you agree? Let us... Let us know. Twitter handles at Warren Smith Fox and at Matt Russell Fox. Last time I checked, and the reason we've been speaking about venues, regional venues, and and uh, and suburban venues was is because as commentators, don't we rely on the crowd and and the venue in a way to as almost a tool? You ride the crowd, uh, and sometimes it's it's hard to ride a crowd if there's no one at the game. Yeah, I, I was pumped for yesterday's game. No question about that. I was. It was a beautiful day. As I said in, I think, off the top of the game, it was the sort of day that turns you into a football fan for life. You you go to a venue like that, big crowd, 
when you're young, the noise, the atmosphere, you go, wow, this is really something. This is great fun. This is entertainment. This is obviously a really important occasion as well. The Westpac helicopter flies in and delivers the Rescue Services Cup. Ben Cray brings it out as well. All of that. When, you, when you're young, that grabs you for life. Yes. So I'm a big fan of suburban venues, but I get frustrated and I howl at the moon knowing what they could be and how good it could be. I just don't know. I think maybe you know, that race has been run and we've missed the boat in regards to making those venues what they could be or should have been some stage uh, back 20, 30, 40, whatever years ago. <laughs> hey, let's quickly run through this week's games and give us your tips. Tigers-Cowboys Thursday night. Tigers-Cowboys. Uh, Cowboys uh, having one in Bathurst to back it up was... I think the Tigers are going to bounce back. I think they'll break the three-loss streak there against the Cowboys. Knights and Panthers, McDonald Jones Stadium, first game on Friday night. Kalen uh, Ponga to cause some problems for the Panthers. You called it the Ponga-Pogo after that step, but as he drifts outside the defender. What about the Ponga-Pellet, oh. the Ponga-Pass, the wow. Ponga-Projectile? It's not just a step. The balls that he delivered, Ken Seo should have scored. He should have had two fantastic tri-assists. Kalen Ponga to give the Panthers some problems. He is a five-star superstar of the game in his first full season in the NRL. Bulldogs-Eels on Friday night. I have got no clue about this one. Parramatta was so disappointing against the Sharks, and Corey Norman and Mitch Moses need an absolute rocket from Brad Arthur. They have to take the ball to the line, take on the defensive line if they just keep floating across the field and passing to supports and trying to create something without putting their body on the line, wearing a shot, getting a quick play of the ball, the Eels will sink back into the mire. It was a real step backwards against the Sharks. The Bulldogs showed more against the Broncos. I think the Bulldogs will beat the Eels. Yeah, I'm with you. At ANZ Stadium, full house there was? Uh, no, not quite. <laughs> Warriors Roosters, you're calling this yeah, one? Yeah, I, I can't wait for this. I watched the Roosters yesterday, knowing full well that I had them against the Warriors. The Warriors had already won. The Roosters, they won, but they still haven't answered all the questions, have they? This will be a belter, and to me, it depends on how fit the Warriors are. Does Sean Johnson prove his fitness? Probably not. Does Isaac Luke play? Maybe not. Adam Blair picked up a bump as well, but he should be there. I, I, I just think the Roosters can go across there and win against an undermanned Warriors lineup. I've got the Warriors at home. Okay. I think they're a very good team, especially at home. Storm and the Titans, the first of the double header up there at Suncorp Stadium. Super Saturday, live on Fox League. Storm and Titans, followed by the Seagulls and the Broncos. The Storm and Seagulls both taking a home game, as they've done yep. for the past couple of years, up to Suncorp Stadium. It will be a big crowd. It's been a beauty, a great occasion up there over the past couple of seasons. Um, the Storm will beat the Titans. I'm doing that one. Yeah, you've got that game. How many tries for Josh Addo Carr was? Uh, maybe another hat-trick. Wow. I yeah. think against the leaky Titans defence, he might put on a bit of a show. What's he up to? 10? Uh, 12 off the back wow. of yesterday. Okay. Yeah, and, and the Titans was. I did their game in Canberra. Poor Jai Arrow picked up that back problem but looked really troubled by it. I, I don't know when we'll see Jai again. It could be this week. It could be six or eight weeks away. Uh Jared Wallace also injured. They had all sorts of injury problems. Poor Garth Brennan. That's a that's a huge assignment at Suncorp against Melbourne. Um, at O'Carr, eleven tries. In fact, I just okay. just corrected myself alongside David David Fusser too with a try scoring machine. What a player he is for the Warriors. Sea Eagles, Broncos. Um, the Broncos will win that one. Yeah, with you. 
And the Rabbitohs and Dragons, two games on the NRL Sunday ticket this week on Fox League. Rabbitohs Dragons is a beauty. You just can't go past the Dragons at the you moment. Can't. As well as the Rabbitohs are playing, I think the Dragons are just um, in a league of their own. Uh, if I was putting my house somewhere, which I never do, I'd be on the Dragons. But South Sydney, are they primed for an upset here? Because the Dragons have been up for Anzac Day against the Roosters. Tick, one. Up for this hyped game against Melbourne at Cogra. Tick, one. Is there a chance they could go off the boil, having been up for those two big games against the Roosters, who are bouncing along really well? The Bunnies know how to score all of a sudden. Oh, I smell an upset in this one. Wouldn't surprise me at all if South beat the Dragons. And Sam back? Sam is back after his two weeks out. So they've missed him for four weeks, and they're two and two without him. That, that's a that's a big pass, isn't it, without Sam? And he'll be fresh at the back end of the season, you would think, having had this almost month off. As yeah. far as game is, games are concerned in the first half of the season, they could be a real charger for this uh, title. It just has to behave now, Watts, because, you know, like any, any more suspensions. If he sneezes, it'll yeah. be three weeks. Yeah. Literally, we went through this a couple of weeks ago yeah. as far as his demerit points are concerned. Raiders and Sharks to uh, round things out on uh, Sunday down there in Canberra. Um, at home, the Raiders will win. Yeah, they've won four of their last five. Ricky has them rolling now. And despite so many players off contract and such uh, uncertainty that that can cause real problems. They looked relatively happy. They're playing some good footy. And Mick Ennis, during the commentary against the Titans, said, you know, if they just fix a couple of little things, this is a team that can challenge for the premiership. And you have a look at the ladder and see that the Canberra Raiders still sit in 11th. Mick Ennis must have seen some really good signs to say that uh, against the Titans. I think they'll beat the Sharks as good as the Sharks have been. They have more injury concerns. Wade Graham picked up another hamstring against Parramatta. That might be a problem. He might be out for three to four weeks, given it's the second one he's done in a very short space of time. Let's hope that isn't the case for Wade Graham, for the Sharks, and also potentially, uh, of course, for New South Wales in origin. I think that makes means we've come full circle <laughs> does. as far as the origin chat is concerned today. Matty, thanks for that. Pleasure, was it? Good calling in the Great week ahead. Day. Yeah, you too, mate. Enjoy Tigers, Cowboys for you, Melbourne Titans for you. I'll have a look at the Warriors Roosters. Until we see you next week, you can take me now. I have seen it all.